The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hi everyone, I'm Macca19 and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, a show about all things Port Adelaide Footy Club. Joining me as always as co-host, we got Fishing Rick. Macca, mate, how are you buddy? Good buddy, and yourself? Oh, very excited to be here once again, and uh, yep, it's going to be a cracker of a show. I hope so. Look, it's the uh, it's the twenty year anniversary of the nineteen ninety five uh, premiership this year, so we thought we'd do a bit of a review podcast on that season. So we've got a number of special guests on tonight to help us through that. Uh, the first is moderator extraordinaire Ford Fairlane. We are not here to be bloody patronised. <laughs> it's uh, my biggest recollection of the 1995 grand final yeah. was Alan Stewart's dummy disappearing into West Lakes. <laughs> it was a great dummy spit. I loved it. And our uh, second guest is a man that held that mighty cup aloft on the dice that day. He's a friend of the podcast here. Welcome back, Timmy Geneva. I thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, a pleasure to be involved once again, and uh, especially now that uh, Fishing Rick has got his dulcet tones going through the John Law's gold microphone. I've seen it. I have actually seen it. <laughs> Be careful. He'll start asking you what you earn. The microphone is bigger than my car. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it's That's gold. It is gold. It just values the, uh, the value of gold. The amount of people that come in to see me and they look at that thing on my desk and go, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> what have we walked into? Well, look, before we get into the 95 season, we'll have a quick chat about the leadership announcement today. Obviously, Matty Loby has been promoted to vice-captain and Ollie Wines has been added to the leadership group. Uh, Both pretty uh, straightforward announcements, I would have thought. Yeah, I think it's um, good news. Really pleased to see Loby in there. Mm. Yeah, don't have any argument, is there, really? I mean, uh, Loby's last two years have been absolutely outstanding, carrying the pig on his back, basically, hasn't he? And uh, he's been rewarded for it. That's it. Isn't there a rule that there's a if you join the leadership group, you have to automatically sign on to the club for another five years? Ah, <laughs> ah I hope so. <laughs> That'd be great. I think, that, of... I think that should be made policy. Yeah. And, <laughs> and great to see Ollie Wines join the group and, and the advertiser quick to come up with the headline, Fine Wines Matures. I guess we had oh. to expect that. Yeah, the wine puns are always going to come. But look, what, a, what an outstanding uh, reward for a young man in, in what will be his, just his third season of football. Still only just turned 20 years of age in October. Wow, what a what a rise. But uh, he just he's just going to get so much better because he is the type of lad that just does not um, enter into any of that, you know, I am so great, I am so great. He's just about trying to improve every time he... Hits the track, so that's why he's made it. I, I, would, I would assume. Tim, I got a lost, lost a little bit of weight and looks a lot fitter so far this preseason. No, he's still a big boy. Mm. Like he's very, very yeah. strong. Just to, just to put you on the spot, Tim, does he remind you of any past Port Adelaide players that you've seen? Uh, the way he plays or his build? I think well, a bit of both. I think the build. I guess you'd, yeah. you'd have to say Russell Lee, but like. Yeah, because, you know, Russell was very powerful through the core and those massive, uh, powerful thighs and drivers. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. He's probably got that sort of that sort of build. But um, uh, he reminds me of that young uh, Greg Phillips type 
yeah. from the country. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to do it, you know, and <laughs> get out of my way. Out. Yeah, and can take bodies with him at such a young age. Tim, I've got a quick question for you, though, as a former leader of the club. I mean, if you compare the leadership group now to what it was when you were playing, A, how much different is it? And But B, how much influence are those boys exerting uh, as a leader in that leadership role? Is it just more a figurehead sort of position or you know, is there actually some work to it? Uh, they work very hard on it and they... Uh, they certainly meet as a group and all the rest of it. Ours was completely organic and uh, there was no structure around it whatsoever other than uh, you're number one and you're vice captain. And and that's what it was. It was and, and in the, the year we're talking about, 95, I was captain, Delaney, vice captain. And then the other blokes just... They just take on leadership. They just they leaders, really were like, natural yeah. leaders, though, weren't they? By by ninety five, oh. the guys there, you know, played four or five premierships. You had like your Northeast and your Carter, and, and like you said, your Delaney, Fiachi, um, just some hey, really hey. terrific leaders. And even Greg <laughs> Anderson coming back into the side during the year that you, you must have felt really well supported as a captain at that time. Yeah, it, it wasn't difficult. I mean, like a, yeah, Darren Smith, Stephen Williams. I mean, yeah. these guys, Hodges, are, are that's it. That's three guys in your in your forward line. Then you had, yes. uh, you know, Roland Smith in his own way was a leader and and a, and a, a terrific teammate. But you know, but that back line with North East Delaney, Brian Lees came over, thought he was captain yep. of the club. Um, so <laughs> he, uh, never one uh, for a dull moment, Brian. But uh, no, it was no. really good. And then you know somebody like uh, uh, Fabian Francis in that team. Yep. Flash was always really really good with his voice. I mean, he was. A reasonably young man of about, I'm, I'm guessing about 21, 22 in that team, he and he was incredibly, uh, incredibly positive with his voice. There was a moment, uh, probably just jumping ahead here, but in the grand final where uh, Clive Waterhouse took a big mark in front of goal, I think in the third quarter, and Clive was pretty revved up by then, and, and Fabian just ran over and just grabbed him and held him and you know, just settle, settle, go back, take your kick, calm down. And uh, it was a it was a really a leadership kind of action that that stood out at that point. Correct, and uh, that's that's why I said it, and, and why he was so you know important yeah. as such a, a young player to, to just and that's that was the environment in which was bred. And I think the guys now at, at AFL level, uh, like I said, it is structured. But what they do is they basically try to help one another daily, and, and they are you know seven out of eight days on the track and, and doing something and they've got to keep themselves and the group always striving to be the best and oh, they, they've come along in leaps and bounds. And It's great because it's like a very young and inexperienced leadership group. You know, look at the age of the players and, and the amount of games they've played and it's still only probably a handful of finals as exciting as it's been the last couple of years, you know, compared to, to when you were there, Tim, and as we said, the guys there with, with multiple premierships to their names and, and a, a heap of experience. And um, so it's great to see the, the young kids really taking it up and, and wanting to push the club forward. And, and I think Lobie's loyalty has been rewarded as well that, you know, there's he could easily have, have gone a couple of years ago as well, and he's stuck around, and a few of the others that have, and it's there's a there's a real solidarity that's like that early Portside back when it was you know, sort of the late 80s when Jack came back, and, and it really started to build from there. Yeah, Ron, I think they, they know that they've got an opportunity that's in front of them, and I don't think there was any surprises today, which I think was the really good thing. 
that means you're building stability and that's one of the pillars in success is stability and those guys are now uh, well cemented in the group and I'm, you know I'm not against Rick's uh, statement of perhaps it's a five year deal if you get in that leadership group yep. you just have to hang around I think uh, that, that is a real key factor Look, we won the flag in 94, that stunning grand final victory. We won the second AFL licence a month later. Um, what was the expectation going into the 95 season? Was there more pressure to perform now that we were actually playing the waiting game to go into the AFL? Oh, well, that's pretty much it, Macca. Uh, I only told the story uh, yesterday um, at, at the footy club. We had a bit of a day about, you know, um, handling the expectation, uh, how we're all going to lift. This is, you know, uh, every department in the in the whole football club. And I said, you know, this is nothing new. I said, these expectations have been around on this football club, you know, since it was created and mm. it got bigger and bigger as, as we got more and more successful through the years. And I, I just reflected on a story that I we were upstairs at, at uh, the Port Club and I said, just over there by that window, I said I was waiting to be presented to the, the crowd after we got back from the from the dinner at Football Park. And, you know, you go out, I said, to 15,000, 20,000 people screaming and yelling and loving the, the, the grand final night at Alberton. And I was caught trapped in the corner with Bruce Webber. And Bruce Webber's telling me, now, Timmy, you know we've got to get back on the horse. We've got to win again. We, this is 92 he's talking about um, and we've just won and he said now we've got to get back on those, do you know we've got to keep winning premierships otherwise we're not going to get that second licence and I, and I turned in and I said Bruce you're exactly right but can I enjoy tonight <laughs> <laughs> I just have this little moment he said alright you can have tonight but tomorrow we're back on the horse <laughs> and we had a good laugh about it but I loved it it was the expectation of hey 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 this one's over you got to get back on the horse and win the next one. So that whole 90s was set about just continually win to put our name in lights. And, of course, winning 94, which you know we spoke about, was how amazing it was and all the rest of it. But come 95, we added you know, Robbie West to the team, who was outstanding. Mm. We had Brian Lees come in at centre-half back because Darrell Wakelon went to St Kilda. He was outstanding. Um, Anthony Darcy, who took a while to get going and had a few injuries, his back half of the year... And last six games were amazing to the point where he got redrafted. Um, Spiro yeah. Malakalis yeah. came in to join his brother Tony. So they were incredibly good ins and guys that they probably thought, well, they're going to really bolster what is a good core already. It's, it's probably worth noting that from that 94 team, there were 10 changes come the grand final. And the Eagles went through a similar change period. They had 10 changes. They finished second to bottom. Port Adelaide won a premiership. Yeah. So it, it's just just amazing, despite the turnover, the, the, the incredible result. And I remember as a supporter, I went to all of the trial games and the, the confidence that came out of, A, I think, winning that 94 grand final, you know, despite all the turnover, but as Tim said, the, the terrific players that were added and and getting that licence. I mean, we were just smashing sides in those those trial games to the point where we'd be 40, 50 points up at half-time and Jack would take half the side off and go, OK, you guys have done enough. 
And I think there was one where Tim would probably remember this against Glenelg at Glenelg, and we we were 40, 50 points up at half-time. Jack took half the side off. Glenelg came back and left left all their best players on. They won the the game, and they virtually ran a lap of honour. They were so happy. (laughs) And it was a trial game. Classic Glenelg. You know what I I said at the end of that game? Because I was one of the guys that had come off and sitting on the bench. I looked around at the bench, and they were all looking at me. The guys, and I said... I said, they're going to put a marquee up tonight. <laughs> it was, you had to be there. It was, it was really funny. I mean, we sat there, we'd, we'd lost and, and you were laughing because, you know, they were acting as if they'd won the premiership. It was, it was, uh, you know, unfortunately where they had fallen to and, you know, the teams we would have played in the past, especially in those grand final teams, that those Bay Blokes would have just walked off and just realised it was another trial, but it was mm. it was just where they were at, unfortunately, and and it didn't get much better for many years. No, it was it was incredible, and I think too in those trial games you really saw a bit of a change in the way Port were playing. That that really quick reflex give um, out of packs to open games up and release runners on the outside. I think. Um, it was it was just a little tweak of the game plan. Uh, Tim Tim may disagree with me, and then I'll sound like a complete idiot. But it was just something that that was noticeable and and carried on through the season and and even into the grand final. And we'll talk about that in more detail. But I, I think I Port had something like sixty more handballs and centrals in that grand final, and and they were all really attacking handballs. Again, that that quick give out of a pack to release a runner and put the centrals' defence under pressure. And it was again once you got the runners out there, it was a typical tail game plan: run up in numbers and get the ball long to really strong key forwards. I actually think uh, that probably came again a little bit organic, Ron, because of the the pace that came into the team. The yep. pace that came in the team, uh, Robbie West was really quick leg speed. Uh, Darcy was quick yep. on his legs and smart player. You yep. had the Malakalis brothers who were lightning, especially Tony, who were just running past. A young fella called Michael Wilson went into the back yeah. line and just <laughs> took off like a rabbit. Um, Fabian was exceptionally quick as a player. Waterhouse mm. was dynamite. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So all yeah. these guys that had come in had leg speed, where myself, Daryl Borlase, you know, the... Um, uh, Paul North East, the Archies, we give, we give straight away. Yep. Stevie Williams, Harden, Nanda, yep. we give straight away. And when there's more options for faster bikes, it's like, well, you just give and they go and they make you look yeah. good. <laughs> it was interesting. If you look at the grand final team, Tim, though, we didn't really have that tall a team, did we? No, it wasn't. It? No, and, and it's something that we've never been probably blessed with is, is massive height. And you can see the first ruck was Darren Mead. Okay. And, you know, we suggest rev meaty up about, you know, jumping <laughs> early and standing in his throat and knocking it our way. That's all we cared about. And uh, he would do it. He would lift. You know, we had in the past blokes like uh, Brett Chalmers, Darren Mead, Daryl Poole, who just gave their all in that middle, um, even though they were definitely giving away three or four inches. And, mm. uh, gee, Daryl Poole had a presence. Oh, Daryl. Always when he played, there was a presence. Yeah, <laughs> I love Daryl. That was, I think '95 was was Daryl's first premiership. Um, he, he managed Correct. not to get himself suspended in a prelim final, and, and got to the got to the big dance, and deserved it. And uh, yeah, yeah oh. he missed out on a couple because of the the incidents. Probably '94, '96. He, he yep. should have played without a doubt. So uh, now we liked having Daryl on the team, and you know these early days in the in the AFL team when we got in finally. 
which I was really happy that Farrell was taken in that squad. Uh, Brian Lees, who, of course, played those uh, 95 and 96 years with us, he had a lot of friends at Richmond still. And after a couple of... Well, they played a trial game and one minor round game, and they rang Lees and they said, this Daryl Poole bloke, what's his story? <laughs> they were... Uh, what's the word? Oh, shit, right. There it is. <laughs> it's so Darryl intimidating if we were going to euphemise. <laughs> oh, yeah, Daryl was very intimidating. I mean, did the will we, won't we with the AFL entry in 96 affect the playing group at all? Did it play on the players' minds at all? Because it seemed like the AFL stuffed us around quite a bit. Oh, look, that did. And the sentimental farewell for Fitzroy probably cost a couple of blokes spots in that first squad. Mm. Um, and I still think Paul North East was stiff um, mm. because he, he was considerably younger than that whole core that you think of in, in myself, uh, Delaney, Fiacci, he was considerably younger than that. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I reckon they sort of bundled him with us because his, uh, he, he's, he played in those flags with us, but he was three or four years younger. Um, yeah. I, thought, I thought he was stiff and, and maybe not getting in 96 didn't help his cause. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that grand final side, uh, you, you'd, I guess by the mid-90s, you're thinking back to the three in a row in 88, 90 and, and how a very young side there and how it went on. But the, the 95 side, when you looked at it, I think of the of the team that played, there were only three players in the end that either hadn't already played VFL-AFL or didn't go on to play VFL-AFL. And, and those three were Port, or Port Legends to me. And that was yourself, Tim, of course, George Fiacci and Paul Northeast. You know, mm. they were great icons of the club and, and huge club men. And as you said, I mean, a, a different era. I think everyone in that team would have played. I think there was some real loyalty shown to Port by guys that that could have shifted to the AFL and didn't. And I think um, yourself and, and George and uh, and Norther would have all acquitted yourselves very well at that, that highest level. But that was a really good side as well. And I think people probably underestimate it a little bit too. And as I said, in the, the trial games, we were flying. And I think if you go right back to the start of the season, as you'd know, Tim, that Scotty Hodges had that horrific broken ankle in round one. Yeah, round one against Glenelg, and Glenelg went on to win by 90 points. I think Hutz dislocated his elbow. Did, I know yeah. Scott's ankle break was so bad that it, it looked like a motorbike accident. I think he snapped both bones and tore ligaments, and I heard a story when the trainer came, went to pull down his sock, bone was sticking out, so he pulled it back up and said, better get the stretcher, and that he came back and played that year. It's just incredible courage, and, and typical of Scott Hodges, an incredibly courageous player and, and so mentally strong to play through injury. And, um, I mean, after that game, Port, I think, probably won eight or nine in a row um, by, by big margins and really yeah. got back to that form they were showing in trial games. That, that, was, uh, that was quite a night because, uh, you know, teams lift for milestone games and... Uh, that was my 250th, and we lost by 95 points. <laughs> <laughs> In front of 12,000 people on a televised game on a Friday night at Footy Park. Thanks very much. Oh, it, it was amazing. Uh, anything that could have gone wrong did, and Ron, you're dead right. I, I ran past, heard the almighty crack. He just got his leg stuck behind him, yeah. Scotty, and pulled back, pushed him. Pushed him yeah. And it, it broke... 
the bone and, and, and it did stick out the sock and, and really, really thick quarter blood came out. And normally, you know, we at one another to get up and I called for the stretcher straight away. I said, you just stay down there for a minute, mate. I don't think it's very good. So it was uh, not a good night, to say the least, but you're no, right. We, really, got, uh, we, we did have such a great recovery, though. I mean... It's rare you've got the luxury of a two-time Ken Farmer medalist playing in a back pocket or in the reserves in Mark Tyler to fill in a full forward. Correct. And uh, I, I think uh, he may well have been leading goal kicker once again in 95, Tiles. Um, he did, yeah. And, and filled, filled beautifully. And, and uh, I reckon, just trying to remember if he broke his hand or got another injury. He got uh, an just injury late in the year. Yeah, because yeah. I think he and, kicked and 11 he goals and then got injured in that game. Yeah, he kicked yeah. nine. Yeah. Nine, was it? Yeah, and, and just couldn't get back. Nine in round 23 the... against South Adelaide. Yeah, couldn't get back yeah, to the grand uh, final. Yeah, it was it was tragic because, uh, again, he had another bloody good year and really served us well there. So a great lad too, Tolls. Great lad. So one of the Is there a more unlucky player play. than Mark Tyler? To play 160-odd <laughs> games, win two Ken Farmer medals and only play in one grand final? From Port Adelaide's point of view, because you know that a lot of them have played in a lot of a lot of flags, guys that have played sort of a high number of games that didn't get that premiership success, and fortunately, I'm glad that Tiles at least got 94. Yep. Uh, I, I'd have to say that I reckon Carl Fragamini be up there. Yep. He did his elbow, missed the 77 grand final um, after playing for quite a long time and was a bit of a cult hero. And I don't... I don't think he got back in the team when they started winning 79, 80, and 81, and, and no. I think he'd retired. So so that was a bit of a tragedy. Ivan Eckerman so he, took yeah, over the back count. pocket. Correct. He and, took over uh, the back pocket. Yeah. And, and the other one, I think, is Steve Curtis, who, yeah. who was just uh, a, a stalwart. It was just in that that era, those five years, and where yeah. unfortunately it coincided with Russell's coaching but also it was that transition period for Port where well, Tim as you know you came into the side during that time and guys like Wayne Marnie and, and Greg Anderson and Craig Bradley and and then some of the other uh, David Brown the young guys who stayed on some went on to the VFL and, and the others that stayed on and, and rebuilt the side and then Jack came back in 88 and just sort of polished up the product and, and carried them on back to Premiership glory and poor Steve Curtis just just missed out in that that window there. Agreed, because I reckon he tried. It, it was he, he did preseason, played a few games in '88, and then his back packed up on him, and he and he just couldn't uh, get on the track, so he had to retire Tim, um, very early in '88. Tim, remind yeah. me, was um, Setry another one that was in and out of the side? Sets, um, yeah, it was probably an, an, a little unfortunate in that he was a little bit younger, and he. Probably myself, David Brown, and Stevie Williams, and these sort of guys were running through as as rovers, and Sets was just, you know, up behind those sort of three or four. And when he got his chance, he never ever let us down. And 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 ninety ninety and ninety two are great examples where he came into the team and just performed magnificently. So he, he, he didn't mind the big stakes. Freaky goals, great goals, and, and really was t- a tenacious player. Yeah. Well, look, we won our next eight games. 
by an average of 62 points. We got straight back on that horse. We had Tyler Waterhouse and Olsen kicking bags of goals every week. We beat the Lycra Legs by 58 points. We beat uh, our biggest rival Centrals by 68. And in the, the grand final rematch, we won by 49 points. And my lasting memory of that game is Andrew Taylor running 25 metres to clobber Troy Olsen. <laughs> it was it was really easy to get under Andrew Taylor's skin, even for supporters. <laughs> He'd come to Albert and we'd get stuck into him. Or I'm Not me, of course, because I was very quiet and shy and retiring. But other people around me might. And, and he would react to the crowd. And you knew once a player did that, you had him. I mean, the, the, I don't know what it was like for you on the field, Tim, but, but if you saw something like that, you must have thought, oh, this guy just, he's lost it. Yes, which is a great sign. And, uh, it, it, you know, he could, he could play well, Tails, but, uh, yeah, I think when he's doing that, he's definitely uh, definitely losing the plot. But, yeah, I mean, to run all the way and get poor old Ollie. Ollie, <laughs> Ollie wouldn't hurt a fly. Ollie just wanted a, a hamburger and a beer. That was Ollie's highlight of <laughs> I remember seeing Troy Olsen in a uh, in a curtain raiser in uh, I think '97 before a power game, and he was the size of a house. And I thought, who is this guy playing for some yeah. country team? Country, and I looked down, and it's Troy Olsen. I thought he's only 23. He must be about 140 kilos out there. And I reckon he was going bald as well. He was. Yep. He looked uh, about 50. It's it like Monty Burns's head on him, <laughs> on Homer's body. Uh, Look, I remember that game myself, and uh, and we did have a good giggle. But I, Brian Fairclough, who was uh, in that early formation of the the first squad at uh, Port Adelaide in the AFL, he actually said to me, "Do you know we tried and tried and tried to talk Troy Olsen into playing and and going into the AFL first squad, but he refused." <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Well, I think he got That's drafted right. by Collingwood in 93 or something like that, but I don't yeah. think he went over. No, he would be a bit like Peter Carey. He would have gone over, had a look at the training, and uh, they got come back. Yeah. Oh, he was a character, absolute character. Jeek, he had an incredibly explosive pace and a massive kick, and a massive yeah. kick. Oh, he yeah. kicked I really seven in one game, didn't he? Yeah, he kicked seven yeah, he in a game. five, wasn't it? Yeah, they, they were, yeah, against South, I reckon they kicked. Yeah. between them. I just to, Look, wanted I, to ask you, Tim, because Macca was just talking about the winning, you know, eight, ten in a row, and then we probably lost four out of five in the middle of the year, and it was always the – mythology is probably not the right word, but the legend of Arnie's training block in the middle of the year. Was it true or was it not that there was this really hard training block in the middle of the year to prepare you for finals? Uh, it was uh, it was Jack's uh, playbook. Just to, yeah. <laughs> it was almost spot on in those times. Yeah. We always had a slump in the middle, and uh, we just had to make sure that we got out of it. And Jack did like to put a bit into our legs, and then with about three or four weeks to go, training would lighten up phenomenally. And, and as the grounds firmed up, he allowed us to just whiz along and, and get back to uh you know training at speed and, and making it really short and uh he had a, a very good template which he followed every year and we knew it was coming and it was awesome and um we just had to battle through those those uh sort of middle games well it wasn't yeah, a premiership was... year without a mid-season slump i mean if we weren't right. losing to nord at the parade or you know centrals at elizabeth then it wasn't a premiership year 
spot on. You thought something was seriously wrong. Yeah. We, we even <laughs> lost to South. Yeah, that's right. Oh, no longer. Yeah, the first that, that was our first, first game there. I think that was their yeah. first season at Hickenbotham Oval. And I remember going yes. there, and it was freezing cold, and it was a really yes, long yes. trip. Like you leave on Friday night. Yeah, it was. Uh, I reckon a ball bounced off of a, a cow pat and went sideways. It was just uh, <laughs> not a great experience. First up, <laughs> Damien Sheen kicked four goals that day. I remember Big Dogger. Yeah, saw him actually uh, Boxing Day. Actually caught up there with him go. Boxing Day. We had a few beers down the seat, and uh, that was fantastic to catch up with him. He was a, he was a good lad. Well, we got over that slump, and we, we had some big wins towards the end of the season as well. We played Nord at Footy Park in one of the most brutal games I can remember. Um, poor old Roger Delaney copped one of the biggest bumps in the, uh, in the mm-hmm. third quarter and just had his, um, I'm not sure, you know. Jaw, had nose, it, eye socket, all yeah, broke. He had his face rearranged, basically. Yeah, yeah McCormick. And he got, McCormick got games for that, didn't he? I reckon uh, not he got many. One with that. One. It, it was oh, just no. a huge. Roger was sort of flew through the air, basically. It would be a nine-weeker these days. Oh, Because uh, he, yeah. he went past the ball, jumped in the yeah. air, hit the uh, bone straight into Roger's face. And I was in the forward line, and I saw a, saw a collision, and I thought, oh, yeah, what's happened there? And then there was a bit of commotion and all the rest of it. And I saw Roger down still. I thought, what's he doing? So I sprinted from the forward line, started going down there to sort things out. And I'm screaming as I'm going up, get up, get up. <laughs> he tried to get up. He looked at me. And the right side of his face was towards me. And his nose was pointing towards West Lake. So I said, all right, stay down. Stay down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a mess, absolute mess. And I started quickly rearranging on the field and said, uh, I reckon Kirtley Ambrose was playing. And I said, hey, yeah. you get to fall back. Get down there, rah, rah, just sorted out while I was out there. And, and then we continued on. But I, I didn't actually know who did it or how it happened until later. And George Fiacci was absolutely determined to get him back. And he, and he did. did get him back in the final. Got him in the final, yeah. I think the umpies turned a blind eye to that one, but I reckon um, George yeah. landed a nearly as good a one as he landed on um, Damien Arnold in the grand final. Yeah, true, true. It was a it was a big cut Actually, Meady Meady copped it that year too when we were playing Centrals at Elizabeth. I saw that one where um, Scott Stevens might have just run past the ball a little bit as well and um, cleaned him up in in that game. I think we went on to lose that one by about seventy odd points as well. Yep. And he got he got absolutely poleaxed in that in that match. Yeah. So uh, um, well, again in the grand final, Stevens didn't finish it, did he? No, he ran into Leedy's head, and that was the end of him. And that that's you know enough to put anyone out. Uh, well, we had such a, a big end to the year, and I guess the uh, the big moment was Scotty Hodges' return at uh, at Woodville Oval. He kicked five goals in a in a seventy point thrashing of the Eagles. Yeah, look, uh, like you said, it was an amazing effort to get back for one because that was you know a really really bad uh, break, and to get back and the the ankle we we get in the showers or the bath and you could see the ankle was still almost one and a half times the size of his other one. And there was always going to be at least a pre-season to get that mm. back to normal. And 
yeah, he did an amazing effort to get through. And but it, again, it gives you confidence that uh, you know, and and they, the opposition, just fear him, you know, because of you know all these deeds and actions that he's been able to do in grand finals. Yeah. And we finished the line around in third, only one point off top spot. It was a very even year between Central's Nord and Port. Um, I mean, Central's had a lot of um, AFL talent in their team. I mean, guys like Ingerson and Scott Lee and Stephen Schwert and, you know, ex-guys like Ray Windsor and, and Peter Green and all these sorts of guys. And McKinnon. I guess Alan Stewart. Yeah, McKinnon as well. Alan Stewart had them playing some pretty tough football there. Uh, look, um, Alan Stewart I've got massive amounts of praise for because – he was my Till Cup coach, and he took me away um, as a what would you say a young, a younger player in the first year, and then took me as the second year as captain in the Till Cup. I had a lot of time for him, and he had a lot of time for me, which was which was pretty good for me. But yep. uh, we always kept in touch, and still do even today. And he offered to coach Centrals through the eighties a couple of times, and once for free. And they went with people like Cowboy Neil and Neil Curley, thinking they needed that higher-profile coach. Of course, with the advent of the Adelaide Crows in 91, they said, well, we don't know what's going to happen. They took Alan's offer of a very, you know, very uh, cost-effective coach, if you like. But his whole uh, mantra was about getting them to play like Port Adelaide and to, to do all the things that Port Adelaide do. And I talk uh, openly with Tom Zorich, who openly admits they came down, they watched our routine for a week, watched our pre-seasons, and said, right, we're just going to have to take it uh, letter for letter and do exactly what they do. And, you know, Alan had to... Alan had a hard job, and, he, and, and I know for a fact that they had some icons there like Greg Smith and... Uh, Rudy Manamaker and, and guys like this that he had to, over his time, let go. And it was really yeah. tough and he copped a lot of flack for it and all the rest of it. But what he was trying to do was say, look, I have to have a certain standard. I have to have a certain level of uh, commitment, respect, you name it. And if I can't get it from, I don't care if you're a big name or not, you're going. And he did an amazing job in turning, I, I think there should be a bronze statue down there of him. Uh, turning that club around, he introduced the the leading teams thing, which is all the rage, you know. You know, fifteen years later, um, but he did that himself and with uh, Ray McLean very early. So he did a great job in turning that footy club around and getting real good, uh, honest people to to be a part of it. And I think he did a marvelous job. And it's something they they did again um, in their their era of success through the two thousands was you know openly copied Port Adelaide. I mean, they, they openly, you know, they admitted they, you know, reading Dynasty was, was you know, a, a requirement if you were going to be yes. part of Centrals and, and really copying what Port Adelaide did. So they, they did, a, obviously got it right that time around. Um, and we're not happy era. Yeah, you have to build towards it, don't you? And, yeah. And 90, the 90s were exactly that. They were building towards it. And... Uh, it took them that decade, but, uh, you know, gee, they had a pretty good decade afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, and they, right. they were always a club that they liked their cult heroes. And then you mentioned guys like Smith and Mandamaker, and I, you know, I can remember Max George back in the day and Phil Horn and, and John Duckworth, of course, and Jonas. And 
and they would hang a lot of their expectations on a on a single player. And I think what you're saying, what what Alan did was to really build that team ethos with them, and and create you know a much a much uh, broader base of talent and commitment and achievement, and uh, become a much better club, not not just a, a marquee player kind of club. Spot on. And uh, look, then he came to work for Port Adelaide as our recruiting guy from you know '96 through to 2004, and I, I reckon it was one of our biggest losses in in the end of 2004. Was losing was losing Alan at the time. Uh, just thinking an exceptional eye for talent, and he pushed particular players when nobody else did. And uh, he was obviously a massive Stuart Jew fan. Uh, he obviously knows how to win a grand final, and. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was a big Josh Carr fan, and he pushed and pushed and pushed Choco to play him, and eventually he got that uh, role early as that tagger, and mm. he never let us down. Um, but that was Alan's, Alan's persistence in saying, I recruited this guy because you needed more in and under, and you needed a guy that could take him on in the middle, and that's why I got him. And, geez, geez, what a what a nine. Inside to Anderson. He drops the clutch and then goes away, puts it in towards half forward. Despair all over the place. Geneva, he'll love to finish this one off the diminutive little captain, and he's done just that. He loves it, Timmy. And the crowd love him too, particularly the black and white ones. 